Welcome to the For Fox Sake podcast, by the fans, for the fans. With all the news, views and discussion from two lifelong Leicester City supporters. It's your show, so get in contact, make yourselves heard, what's your opinion? The only Leicester City podcast that's by the fans, for the fans. This is For Fox Sake. Hello and welcome to For Fox Sake. My name is Pete Selby. Once again in For Fox Sake HQ1 and over in For Fox Sake HQ2, it's Mr. Rob Hayes. Rob, how are you? Are you okay? I'm feeling much better now we're back to winning ways. It it instills a lot more positivity into everybody, doesn't it? It does. And what a win. And what a show we have. Episode 133, over five years We've been doing this podcast now, Rob. We had a quick chat off air, and it has to be around this time that we started. The exact date, don't know whether you have the exact date there, but it was roughly around the time when Pearson was going and then brought back, if you remember. Was it a Sunday night when the rumour was that Pearson was leaving and then all of a sudden he decided to stay or the, the owners decided to keep him and it wasn't really the fact that he was going or whatever it was around about this time five years ago and then we did the first ever for fox eight in that week so uh, i'm saying it's it's five years basically it's basically yeah i'm reading i'm seeing newspaper articles from a couple of days after which were dated the 9th of feb so we're not far off okay but we'll say five we'll say five years in the very very near future but uh, and what are five years maybe we'll do a special over the five actually we've done them but we'll see Five years worth, my word. Episode 133, thanks for listening. We don't say it, uh, uh, we, we say it quite often at the end of the show, but we don't really say it at the beginning of the show. But many thanks for listening. There's plenty of podcasts out there. Again, talking just uh, previously uh, off air regarding podcasts. There, there are plenty, but the fact that we've been here for five years, and I'd imagine that there's some listeners out there who have been with us since day one. If you have, then you do deserve a medal, not only for for loyalty and for enjoying the show, but for sticking with us. I mean, having to listen to Rob for five years, or maybe my old rant or two, but uh, there we go. Well done to you, Rob, by the way. Well done to yourself as well, and thank you from me to all of our long-suffering listeners. Uh, five five years is quite a feat, really, and we haven't even had any fallings out, really, which I, th- I think is even more impressive considering we... We share our opinions about football and about Leicester City most weeks and we're still relatively amicable. Maybe it's because I've moved to another city and we've got a bit of distance now. Absence makes the heart grow fonder and all that. It is. And if people don't know who we are and what we were doing and what we've been doing for the five years and what we're still doing is that we are match day commentators down at the King Power Stadium. We uh, commentate... Uh, for the visually impaired, so blind supporters basically, and we're in the the press area. We get to see the press room behind the scenes, bits and bobs. So things that we do say and opinions that we have and what we've seen, we pass on to you guys listening. And also the fact that we get to see the games live at the King Power, and then obviously with the odd away game, if you can get tickets, just as any normal supporter would be able to. Very fortunate to do that job, but uh, it gives you a real insight because. You are concentrating on the game so much, so we like to think we kind of roughly know what we're talking about. And uh, and yeah, that's what we do, and that's why we started the podcast in the first place, because we had the access, and well, why not? And it's it's gone uh, it's gone very well, and uh, 133 episodes down, and uh, 
Yeah, still going strong, Rob. Just about, yeah. And as you say, what a f- what a five years it's been as well. We've we've experienced an awful lot in what is a very short period of time in this club's history. Um, and you've got to say that obviously we've been treated to a Premier League title winning season uh, within the the period that this podcast has been running. Uh, and we? we'll be forever grateful that we were um, that we got to experience our part of that as as fans, but also as as sort of as you say as um, as people that get the privilege of working at the club. Um, but right now, bringing it back to the here and now, nostalgia over, we are absolutely in what is statistically the best season, pretty much in Leicester's history. Yeah, the uh, the podcast has taken a bit of a turn actually at the start because I think it's one of the busiest podcasts that we've had to really do in the last say six months. We've got a lot to get through, so wasting no time, no ten minute kind of look back over recent years. But uh, we've got a lot to get through now. A defeat away at Burnley, followed by the win against West Ham. Looking forward to the cup games at the weekend against Brentford and then on Tuesday away at Villa and then at home in the league to Chelsea. We've got transfer news, we've got injury news, we've got players back to form, players out of form still, not included in matchday squads. We've got look forward to who could possibly replace players who's in the squad. We've got a lot to get through, Rob, an awful lot. And once again, we're going to throw everything up in the air and then wherever it lands... That's what we're going to talk about. And I think we should start really with the game against West Ham because I think we can talk about that game and Burnley kind of in the same kind of sentence really because Burnley for me, it didn't, it wasn't the worst performance but it was one of those games where if it's just not going your way, you're not 100% in the Premier League then you can get beaten against a side like Burnley. But West Ham, Leicester were at it. It was a return to the Leicester that we know they were quicker more purposeful from the starts they were they were very good on the ball but also I don't say like quality and all that sort of thing but it seemed that that they played with a purpose for me and that was from the back to the front and it started in the first minute and it carried on the way through and the first thing you kind of think of after five minutes my thoughts were where was this in recent weeks now no club deserves or has the entitlement of of winning every single game that they play, unless you're Liverpool at the moment. But teams do go off form, single players go off form, and in recent weeks we've highlighted a number of players who have, have dipped. And Leicester, the way that they play and the side that they have, we've got described recently the fact that if one or two players dip, it does affect the whole team. They're not the sort of side that can carry any players at the moment. But they were really back on form Many players back into the starting lineup, the likes of Chilwell, the likes of Yuri Tillemans, and they all play to the standard that saw Leicester on that club record run before the Christmas period. And it was just a joy to watch. It was much more enjoyable to watch. Um, with reference to the Burnley game very quickly, I, th- I think it was a much better performance than we'd seen in in the previous weeks. And... Quite fine margins, really, in the Burnley game because we, the finishing was not quite as clinical as it needed to be, and I think that was the difference. We created an awful lot more than we had done in in recent weeks. And look, if Vardy buries the penalty or one of his one on ones, then we absolutely cruise to victory. I've got no doubt about that. And and obviously, it, it's a massive cliche, but goals do sort of change the momentum of games. 
Um, Nick Pope got man of the match, but he made a couple of good saves. But I think it was it was our finishing wasn't clinical enough. So it, it but it was a good sort of building block, and I think Brendan Rodgers will have said that to the players, and they would they would have been sort of pragmatic enough themselves to look at that and say, okay, we were much better against Burnley than we had been for weeks. Um, so and then then playing at home against West Ham, who are struggling, um, and who are probably you, you know you, whenever you play against Burnley, despite regardless of their league position or what their run of form is, it's never going to be an easy game. They're never going to give you anything easy. Whereas West Ham, you, you're less fearful of. They they're in a, in a bad place at the moment, um, but you never really expected them to come out after you. Um, so it enabled us when we started, as you say, on the front foot to really make sure that we were in control of that game for almost the entirety of it, probably apart from a, a five, ten minute window at the beginning of the second half when they got the penalty and they got their tails up. But I think it also proves that Brendan Rodgers has managed some individuals pretty well. You know, the the players you just mentioned there, the, the Chilwell incident we'll talk about, of course, um, but Tielemans being rested for a couple of games, you know, Pratt and Chowdhury not even in the squad because of the way that uh, Rodgers was able to rotate it. Um, it just clicked back together. And I think that's a real positive that we've arrested. It was no, by no means a crisis, but we've, we've turned the tide Fairly quickly, really, in, in terms of the context of the season. It felt like quite a long time without a positive result or performance when, when we were in the midst of it. But now you can look back and say, OK, we had a, a mini blip here that some people would argue started against Norwich at the beginning of December. But we've come out the other side of it still with that huge cushion between ourselves and fourth and fifth place. So all good from my perspective. And I would say it, it stopped a blip turning into a problem. It was a, a comfortable success. You mentioned that period that West Ham were back into the game because really of the penalty incident, which we'll talk about in a second, never in a million years. But Tillemans back alongside Mendy was indeed eventually. Mendy going off injured, who was playing well up to then in a very rooted role in midfield, typical Mendy role, and he was playing well. But he went off with a knee problem. Fingers crossed that it's nothing serious for him. And again, I will say with with Papi Mendy, the sense that he's been back in the side because of Ndidi's absence through injury, but also the possibility of him maybe moving on. You never know with him playing so well. Clubs in the Premier League or elsewhere might be interested. So for him to get an injury now is really bad news for Leicester, but also for his future as well, because again, it could have easily been a signing for someone and whether Leicester would have let him go or not, we won't know unless the news is good. Vardy going off, well, I felt sick at one point because you hear the injury to Harry Kane and Rashford, different injury with his back, but all of a sudden Vardy goes down holding his hamstring as everyone thought at the time. Oh no, it could be weeks and weeks, but then also... When he goes down, because Vardy's been playing so well this season, top scorer in the Premier League, absolutely flying, slightly off the boil since coming back after being out for a, a couple of games through, obviously, Rebecca having the baby, etc. But when he goes down, all of a sudden, the fact that he's turned 33, you know, the, the chickens come home to roost, it really does, can't you think, oh no, he is 33. He's, he's a player where a bad injury 
because of his age, yes, we know his makeup is a lot different to many players, and the fact that he's not played many games in his career as a whole as any what normal say thirty three year old player would have done, but it was a scary moment, and then he goes off, comes back on. And then goes off again. You think in a few weeks, and it still might be a few weeks. The latest is that at the time of recording, he's going to have a scan uh, tomorrow. Is everyone tonight? Possibly the results might not be set free or released until maybe the weekends. And I'm sure Rogers will be asked about this in a news conference before the game against Brentford. And then when uh, when we're playing Brentford as well, live on BBCs, I'm sure the question is going to be asked uh, a number of times, and they'll have to really say something. Now, how long is out for? Because it was a glute um, spasm. Basically, he pulled his ass in a way. Uh, so, who knows? You know, I'm, I'm not an expert on that. And and if he if he ripped his hamstring, that would have been a disaster. If it was a grade one kind of strain, maybe three or four weeks. How long is out for? Don't know. It wouldn't have surprised me if he uh, if he starts against Aston Villa. I don't know. But we'll just wait and see. But by all accounts, it's not as bad as. I first did, and I think a lot of people did. So fingers crossed for Mendy, fingers crossed especially for Vardy. But coming on for Vardy and coming on for Mendy was Wilfred Ndidi. Ndidi, how he's playing after surgery, what, 13 days ago or so, 11 days ago. Remarkable, and he's been called remarkable by Brendan Rodgers and a lot of the people down at the King Power Stadium saying, how is this guy, he's an absolute machine, how is he playing? And he yeah, was slightly, I won't say off, but he was just careful, I would say. He was careful about his positioning, about his, his game. Of course, you don't want to go flying in. But also, he was probably told as well when he came on, look, don't do anything stupid because we do need you for these next few games and for the foreseeable future. And I'm pretty sure the physios had told him, if you do get minutes, then you know don't go crazy. So you can forgive him for being at, at 75 80%. But Iniacho then coming on, and assisting, you'd say, the two goals, especially the fourth goal, but the third goal being brought down for the penalty. It's um, it's a player who's full of confidence, and we've spoke many times when he's come off the bench or when he's played, Rob. His record this year, six goals in 11, three assists in all competitions, that is. He, he seems a lot more settled, a lot calmer. He knows what he's doing, and he just seems a, a more comfortable player. What were the problems beforehand? We don't know. It might be something behind the scenes. It could be something in his personal life or, or whatever that in maybe years to come that we'll find out. But just completely off the boil, wasn't he? But now he's going to have to really pick up the mantle. And I'm fully, not accepting, but I, 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 I believe in Kelechi now. Now we've seen him do it. It's all very well him scoring goals for other clubs and making the odd performance here and there and scoring a goal for the bench. But for him to now lead the line, and you'll imagine be starting against Brentford, and he'll be starting if Vardy's not back against Villa. So two very important games. Villa, you'd say now, probably the most important game of the season quite easily. And you've got Iniacho leading the line. And it's, for me, the link-up play. that Him, the likes of Perez, they seem to have an understanding. I'm not saying that Perez doesn't have an understanding with other players, especially, you say, Vardy. But with it's Iniacho, for some reason, they, them two especially, they really have kind of clicked. Yeah, it is all round a positive to have Kelechi Inacho because, you know, start of this season, we were saying that we looked very light up front. We were saying that no Leicester fan would have would have said that they had any faith in Kelechi Inacho whatsoever. Uh, Iosi Perez, is he 
is he the right man to lead a front line and play as the main striker? Probably not. So it literally was Jamie Vardy and we were all thinking what would happen if Jamie Vardy got injured. Obviously, the news about it being his glute rather than his hamstring is a positive one. Um, you know, that kind of muscle, obviously, you do use it an awful lot more than you realise and until you actually do hurt that muscle. But it's not one of the ones that's... You know, if, you, if your hamstring's feeling tight, they can put that sort of sticky tape on it or whatever and they can stretch it out and they can put on some heat spray or whatever. But you'd still know it was there and you'd still feel it and it would still take a bit off of your off of your pace if you were asked to play through it. Whereas I think it's a less significant muscle group in that sense. So even if it was painful and, and slightly damaged, if required, it could be patched up and played through much more easily. Um, on to Ian Acho. I think it's a huge testament to Brendan Rodgers and his coaching staff's man management because... We have got quite a large squad, exemplified by the fact that there was no Chowdhury and Pratt in the squad last night for the victory over West Ham. And Ian Acho has looked devoid of confidence since the day he arrived at Leicester City, let's be perfectly honest. And that is predominantly down to lack of game time and lack of ability to, to fit into quite a rigid system since he's been here. Now all of a sudden we're a bit more fluid under Brendan Rodgers and now Ian Acho's had a few more opportunities and he looks like a completely different player and Brendan Rodgers seems to have this ability to know exactly what kind of motivation each player needs. Is is it an arm round them and a sort of G up or is it a get stuck into their face kind of thing? Um, And he knows which situation to use those in and... He said he's always said that Ian Acho's trained really well, worked really hard, which wouldn't necessarily be an attribute you'd have initially thought of with Kelechi Ian Acho. But you see that on the pitch now. He he is he has to be part of the Leicester's pressing game. Otherwise, the manager doesn't put him on the pitch. It's as simple as that. Um, and he does get involved in that. And he's obviously getting goals and assists to match that. You, you know, he, he went he went he won the penalty. Uh, and he laid it off for Perez to score the fourth. So that's two assists. Uh, and there was a point in the in the middle of the second half where I was thinking, Inacho doesn't affect the game as much as Jamie Vardy, but he affects it in a different way. He is neat and tidy in the box. He is a natural finisher. Whereas you look at Jamie Vardy, and he is those things, Jamie Vardy, don't get me wrong whatsoever, but he's more all-round than Inacho. He's more involved in in everything. So you can be sort of forgiven for looking at Inacho and thinking, well, he's not really in the game. Because I thought that. And then, you know, 15, 20 minutes later, he's he's getting two assists, which made the game much more comfortable for us. So he affects games in a different way. And I think Leicester fans are starting to come around to that idea. Um, on what you said on Andidi, superhuman, really, isn't he? And, and that's testament to the ability the athletic ability that he has. Um, but he's another one who's who's been carefully man-managed in the sense that you look at Chowdhury and Mendy, his natural sort of backup players, and, and Ndidi is so much better on the ball than those two, and that's only happened since Brendan Rodgers took over because they've made a real conscious effort to make sure that Ndidi can play in deep positions, play through the middle of the pitch. And he's not just the destroyer anymore. He's 
quality in possession as well. And I think that's part of the reason why we missed him. Mendy, I think, was playing it really, really well yesterday and is a fantastic player to have considering his fifth or sixth choice at Leicester. Chowdhury is an emerging youngster who has got a bright future ahead of him, but Ndidi is a class above, and I'm very glad that he's made an 11-day recovery from knee surgery. Ridiculous. Is it, uh, is it an easy thing now to say that Wilf and Ndidi is probably Leicester's most important player? He's right up there. It doesn't seem to tick as well without him the defence don't seem as comfortable without him and that's no disregard whatsoever to the job that Chowdhury and Mendy do because they would get into most Premier League sides I do believe that um, certainly um, from mid-table downwards but Wilfred Ndidi is, is showing every sign of being a world-class central midfielder and there are few in who can play the position that he plays and affect the game in each of the thirds of the field so so well. The only thing he's not got is in him is, is too many goals, but he's not being asked to do that job. Everything else, his all-round game has come on so, so much. He is, yeah, he is... With Iheanacho being so good as, as the lone striker, it's almost... You, you could almost put an argument forward for Wilfred and Didi being as important, if not more important, to the whole system than Jamie Vardy. And I, and I think... And I say that as a sort of high praise for Ndidi, really. It is, but also you'd look on the bare facts alone, the game against Southampton, Burnley as well, and then Ndidi's back and, and you win. I know it's not as simple as that, but just in, in, in sheer numbers, in sheer points gained when Ndidi's in the side, I, I think it's quite easy now to put him at the at the top of the list. Jamie Vardy will always be the icon at the club and, and, and the figurehead, and deservedly so. Schmeichel from the back and you work your way through without the likes of, say, Madison or Tillmans, Burtz and Ricardo, especially at right back. But I think now it's quite easy because he's been out of the side and, and results have dropped that indeed he, and you use the term, which gets it gets banded around all the time. And it's it's one of these terms, along with many involved with modern day football, which are complete nonsense. But you mentioned world class and, and indeed he is. For his age, I know he's played a lot of games, but just what a footballer that we have and, and, and the value of him now. The importance to Leicester is is priceless, but um, he, he must be one of the most expensive midfielders in the Premier League if he was going to move on to another Premier League side. In terms of value of one of our players, Madison has always been banded around nearly 100 million, etc. If someone buys him, there's a lot more to do with that because his English is... He's obviously the look of him as well in terms of marketability of a say a Manchester United if they brought him. Imagine how much money they would make on the back of just Madison being Madison. But uh, indeed, he he'd be worth an absolute fortune if someone was going to uh, to buy him. But anyway, less on that. Uh, a return to form for Yuri Tillemans. He looked more comfortable. Uh, he was finding his man with passes. He started well and he grew into the game. And uh, it looked to be the old Yuri Tillemans, and hopefully a bit of a rest will see him back to his best. I think he likes playing alongside Mendy as well, and we know how good he is alongside Ndidi, but I think he appreciated Mendy doing the donkey work for him. And there's one player, though, who was given man of the match, who has kicked on, he has started to do what we've hoped, and we envisaged, really, that 
Barnes would turn into this player. It was his finishing that was lacking. Scoring against Burnley, scoring against West Ham, setting up the Ricardo goal, and what a fantastic finish, and what a great game for Ricardo as well. Basically similar to what he's been doing, just flying down the right, and, and was really influential. But Harvey Barnes, running with the ball, influencing the game with the ball, and also with his brute strength, which is something I like to see. Yes, he had got the skill to get along, alongside a player, but also shrug them off. You've got the power, you've got the pace, push them out of the way and run with the ball. That's what he did in the championship. That That's when he's at his best. Look at the goal against Burnley. The goalkeeper possibly could have done better, but ball went in the back of the net. But he had the confidence to ignore Jamie Vardy to his left, beat the man, beat the final man, and then shoot, score, great goal. Again, get on the end of a of cross from Ricardo. Nice little one-two, showing something different against West Ham. Little delicate interplay in a very congested penalty area. I think if you look back at that first goal for Leicester against West Ham, the more times I've seen it, and I've seen, I've seen it about 10 times because it's the impression I got when I saw it for the first, second, third time, it gets better and better because there were so many players involved, A, in that move running off the ball, but also defenders in and around the penalty area, but none of them got close. It was a really well-worked goal, and it showed a different side to Harvey Barnes. Then, the second goal, running at pace, beating players, and also, and for me, one of the most encouraging aspects, he's already got the goal, looking up and playing a ball to Ricardo, who runs onto it, great finish. But that vision, sometimes earlier on in the season, he would get the ball on the edge of the area, and almost on that side with him and Chilwell, neither of them really kind of knew what to do or had an idea, or when they were kind of stuck for an idea, they would just lazily lob a ball into the middle or try and dink one to the back post. It might work out occasionally, but there seems to be a lot more purpose with his end game, and he's just getting better and better, and uh, the fact that he scored for me, and he's going to score again and again and again, Obviously, we all as Leicester fans want to see that. But for his development, he needs to score more. He's starting to do that. And we're waiting for that moment, that click, where all of a sudden, a player really just steps up. We saw it with Madison at the start of this season. He, he looked a completely different player from last year. Uh, we saw it with Ben Chilwell, probably last season at the start, all of a sudden, he just kind of he grew a couple of inches and his shoulders got broader and he, he almost turned into a man. And and Barnes, hopefully, this is that click moment. Do you remember when he scored those four or five goals in a row and all of a sudden he kicked on and became the player that we now see? That's hopefully what we're in the middle of in a year or two time when we look back at hopefully this run of goals and these good performances. That could be the, the tide turning for Barnes. Isn't it very, very nice to be talking about him in a positive light and not what could be, but what actually is, what we are actually seeing from him right now. It it was always going to be that, wasn't it? We were always wanting him to get a couple of goals back to back. His his performance last night was outstanding. He he like you say, he had a lot to his game. He had industry going forward and in terms of defence, he was tracking back more than I've ever seen him do before. He had the quality of execution and awareness in and around the penalty area, which was excellent. It was his um, very, very nice layoff for Madison's strike from just outside the box that drew that excellent save from from Randolph. 
you know, that could have been an, quite easily an assist chalked up there for Barnes. A, two assists and a goal would have been a, an unbelievable night for him. So it is now, this is the time. I think you you um, sort of transport yourself a couple of episodes in the future and we'll be talking about Harvey Barnes has bagged three in his last five and he's looking like the player that we all thought he could be. And that's why the game against West Ham was so pleasing because it's so it's probably the best performance I've seen from Harvey Barnes. Other players seem to be returned to form. Um, on BT Sport, they, Robbie Savage gave the man of the match to Ricardo, uh, and Barnes gave him the the uh, the man of the match trophy after. But you you know, uh, did you say some other outlet gave it to Barnes? So you know, it could have been either of them because Ricardo was. We know what to expect from him, and he's so consistently an eight or nine out of ten. It is actually quite frightening. So everything clicked back together against West Ham, and I think. Harvey Barnes is one of those players that needs everybody else around him to be in that confident mood so that it sort of he can feed off it. Uh, and he almost then has an extra spring in his step. I know Zabaleta's an old man, but did you see how much of a head start he had when Barnes sort of chipped and charged it past him? He, he was probably a good 10, 15 yards um, ahead of him, Zabaleta, and Barnes just knocked it past him, absolutely blazed past him. He's got a lot of raw pace. Uh, and as you say, he's actually carrying quite a lot of strength on him now. The finish was great um, because he busted a gut to get into the six-yard box for anything any, any anything that he could get on the end of. Um, just, I, you know, I, I can't even... It's difficult to put into words how pleased I am and I think how pleased we are as, as Leicester fans about that performance from Harvey Barnes because that's a level that he can reach. And he's very capable of of producing that consistently now. I hope it's it's interesting you mentioned about you know looking into the future and then looking back and saying this is the the kind of um, the turning points. Fingers crossed. I was just thinking when you when you were talking about Barnes that I mean he is kind of a specimen. He, he's not the smallest player in the world. He's he looks physically very very strong, and also that there's room for more growth and, and you kind of think well what kind of player he could turn into and again I'm not comparing him to the player in terms of skill etc but you look at a player like say Bale or, or Ronaldo who who were wingers when they started off but then they became broader and stronger and turned into real physical specimens and then became more central and in Ronaldo's case an out and out centre forward and you'd really put Bale say as a number 10 really or or maybe out wide of a forward three rather than as a, an old school flying winger as he as he used to be or wing back. And I wonder if Barnes, he, he could develop into that kind of centre forward role, you never know or it depends what happens with him um, as we go forward but uh, yeah, hell of a player really and uh, it's it's just fantastic to see. And it was good to see Rogers put an arm round uh, Ben Chill at the end of the game when he went towards the cop and, and kind of point to him as well. And uh, and everyone gave him a big round of applause because he had an absolute stinker in the game against Southampton. And then we had the news that uh, he'd missed the training session or the start of a tactical session, Chowdhury as well. So they were missing for the game against Burnley. But it was nice to see Chilwell back. It wasn't the most electrifying performance in the world it was a very solid performance but also you have to say that when Barnes is playing well on the left then also you have to give a bit of credit to Sherwell as well because their interplay was good 
and also he made the overlaps and took players out, which then Barnes cut in and, and caused havoc on a number of occasions. So nice to see Chilwell back. And again, it was this the sum of all pieces. You know, everyone started to play well and it gives confidence to the entire team. And that reflects in the next player, which is Perez. Scorer of a couple of goals, took the penalty very well, but also scored uh, at the end. He is that sort of player. When things are going right, look at the game against Southampton, the 9-0 everything's going our way, the team's playing exceptional and, and Perez all of a sudden he's purring, fantastic player on those occasions. It would like, I'd like to see him influence the game more when Leicester are under the cosh or playing against a real top team, start to dominate the possession and, and be that kind of centre-forward or forward player who really makes an impact on the game, not maybe picking up the pieces when everything's falling right and scoring a few late goals, etc. But it's nice for him to get... Uh, a few more goals, scoring at the King Power for the first time. And uh, and overall, it was a very convincing win. They had that 10-minute spell when they scored the goal, the penalty. What a complete joke. What a joke. It's never a penalty in a million years. Now, the referees gave the decision. Okay, he's gave the decision. Why? And this, this is the perfect example of, of VAR. Now, people in VAR HQ did not want to overturned the decision okay because was there contact of course there was but that doesn't matter um there wasn't enough for the player to go down it looked very obvious from uh normal speed replays different angles and also slow-mo replays that it wasn't a penalty but var they didn't want to overturn the referee's decision because they could see that there was slight contact but again it, for what i've just said it wasn't a penalty if the referee went over to the touchline and looked at the decision on the monitor, I'm pretty sure, very confident, that he would have turned around and gone, hang on, that's not a penalty. Okay, there we go. Leicester's was a penalty. Was the referee always going to even it up? Yes, I believe so. Does that happen? Of course it does. Of course it does. Word gets to the referee that it might have been a bit dodgy. And will they look to even it up? Not on purpose, but if the opportunity presents itself, I'm quite sure that happens on a lot of occasions. So it didn't matter in the end, but Schmeichel getting the yellow card for dissent and then pointing over to the line to the linesman saying, Don't you start with me, probably told him about being on his line. And um Schmeichel probably thinking to himself, Look, I'm an international goalkeeper, I know what to do. And he was fuming because he knew. He knew exactly what's happened and and that's why he was booked for this end and he was so mad. He knew it wasn't a penalty. It's going to ruin a clean sheet and also put West Ham back in the game. And uh, it was just a poor decision all round. Thankfully, it didn't matter. Thankfully, yeah. It's one of those. VAR is, like you say, VAR are never going to intervene there because it's that there was some kind of contact and there has to be a clear and obvious error by the referee in order for them to overturn it. Um, if he hadn't given it, then VAR probably... I don't think VAR would have intervened and said, you've got to give that as a penalty. So that's Never where, in a million years. No, so that's where football rules are never going to be completely black or black and white. Because I can see why the referee has given the penalty and I can see why VAR have refused to overturn it based based on their criteria which is is there a clear and obvious error by the referee um so it's just one of those things on another day the referee doesn't give it and lets it go to var and they check it and say no you're fine carry on 
for what it's worth, I don't think it was a penalty, but I can I can see how the situation came to be. Uh, and it did have West Ham's tails up for a little bit, but I think we did we dealt with it. Apart from Schmeichel kicking off a little bit, I think we dealt with it pretty well by making the right reaction, which was to get back on top in the game to get the next goal and to make sure the result was a positive one. And ultimately, it was because you know you're talking about almost in total dominance for 80 minutes of a game, um, and the only 10 minutes of that based really on a refereeing decision. So. All good. Yes, all good. But I still can't understand why the referee can't go in and check. Also, if you're the VAR people, you would say, if they turn around and go, look, I can't remember who the referee was, look, Trevor, um, we can't overturn the decision because of the rules, but we advise you to go and have a look and you could probably overturn your own decision. We can't because of the rules in place. Go and have a look. And because I think it, it it's possibly not a penalty. There we go. There's nothing wrong with that. They're still within the laws of the game, but they are saying, look, I, I'd go and have a look. Goes over, has a look. Actually, yeah, you're right. It's not a penalty, is it? Okay, no, but no. No, there we go. Never mind. Anyway, on to possible incomings and outgoings at, at Leicester. Now, we are, what, uh, 23rd of January as we record this. So a few, what would you say, a week away, eight days away from the end of the transfer window. And with the injury to Jamie Vardy, and probably to Mendy as well, possibly, we'll see. And also for where the squad is perceived to be fairly light and for what's been spoken by Rogers on a few occasions and the rumour mill at the King Power Stadium, there's been a, a, a bit of a change in kind of stance with a number of players and a few players uh, now being reported very heavily, and it looks to be fairly accurate, that are being linked now with the club. Um, first of all, we'll start with Vardy. The fact that he's injured now depends on how long he's out for, but players to come in. Now, I caught quite a lot of the game the other day, um, or, or the highlights, sorry, of uh, of a couple of Celtic games, and uh, Edouard, the centre-forward, he's a very impressive centre-forward. I know he's playing in a terrible league, and it would be an incredible step up. But um, a player who scored an awful lot of goals in Scotland, 72 games, 38 goals overall, 22 years old. And I've been reading before we came on air, Rob, about him uh, and, and just about how, how what, what's his game like and what people have been talking about uh, uh, regarding his future. And uh, there's been an awful lot in the press very, very recently. Uh, Thierry Henry really... Glowing praise, really, from Thierry Henry, talking about his chances in the French setup, and also about moving to bigger clubs and where he could progress and what's his strengths. Saying that he's such a a quick, um, delicate finisher of the ball, but also strong, physically imposing as well. Six foot two, just to, if you could build a centre forward, that's what you would have. Also, recently in the last two or three days before Vardy's in, uh, injury, he was linked to Leicester before, but also. A lot now starting to snowball and snowball about Leicester making a bid probably in the summer for him. Around about £30 million. Rogers signed him for Celtic about 18 months ago for a club record, which is about £8-9 million, An awful lot of money for Celtic. So he knows what he's got. But looking at the player, he seems to be a perfect signing for a Premier League side. It won't be the earth, 20 to £30 million, but... You get in a player who looks to tick all the boxes, only 22 as well. Now, whether Leicester go for that now or not, 
we'll wait and see. But if you're in the position of influencing signings at Leicester, Rob, and if Vardy's out for a few weeks, three or four weeks, say, for example, who would you go for? Would you go for money like him? £30 million centre-forward, who you may be interested in the summer and maybe fast-forward a few signings. Do you go for a loan signing? Do you go for a young player from the Championship or League One who maybe you're interested in but you bring in now to then fill the position that Iniacho would have on the bench? Or would you bring in maybe an older head or or maybe a, 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 a forward like a target man? You look at, say, a Giroud, whether he will come to Leicester because of the situation with Chelsea and obviously the Champions League race. What would what would you do if you had the chance, or do you actually not panic and go with what we've got? I don't think there's a need to panic, but and there are there is a merit to a lot of the different scenarios that you've boggled my mind with there. So thanks for that. I would, you know, if you take away the emotion of it and and the thought of Jamie Vardy's injury because we don't know the the significance of it or the length of time that it's going to be. You've got to look at what this club will need in order to maintain this kind of level of performance, this league position, the fact that we are likely to be a Champions League team next season. And you've got to also look at the ethos of of bringing in players that are willing to be improved and moulded by an excellent set of coaching staff. So someone like Edouard from che- uh, from Celtic would would fit that mould because I think at the moment, with the status that Jamie Vardy still has at Leicester City and the, the huge importance that he still has to this team, you you would you'd struggle to bring anybody in who is expecting to be a first name on the team sheet, 20 goals a season Premier League striker. Now, now I'd argue the case for every other position on the field for if we made any signings, it would have to be a high-quality Premier League or, you know, um, one of the top European leagues slash international player in order to make sure that we move on to the next level. But I think with... With being up front and the fact that we took Kalechi Inacho as a as a very raw product of Manchester City, and we took Jamie Vardy as obviously from non-league uh, into the Championship, still a massive step up. I think as a club, the the right way to go about it would be to sign somebody who is in their early twenties, who is not going to automatically assume that they are going to be leading the line week in week out for. Leicester City were third in the Premier League to be willing to work, to be willing to learn and know that they'll get their opportunities particularly as we've got the flexibility now to sometimes play with two up top or uh, you know we've got different systems now, it's no longer the 4-4-1-1 with Okazaki behind Vardy and nobody else is going to get a run out as the as the main striker so I think there's no need to, to rush and if we don't get anybody in January I won't be panicking but if the right target and the right fit is available, from my point of view, the right target and the right fit would be somebody in their early 20s who isn't necessarily going to come in and bag you 20 goals a season straight away, but he's coming in with a lot of confidence, a lot of ability and a, and a willingness to 
to work harder. And I think that's why other names like Jared Bowen, for instance, from Hull have been linked with Leicester. Um, I don't I don't think signing somebody like Olivier Giroud is going to do us any favours because, you, you know, it'd be a very short-term fix at the risk of upsetting the dynamic. Uh, however good, I, I do actually rate Giroud. I think he's been quite unfortunate to be frozen out really to be let go by Arsenal and frozen out at Chelsea he's, he's, a, he's a much better player than that um, but yeah I early 20s hungry ready to compete with Ian Acho to take over Jamie Vardy's mantle in the upcoming years I think has to be our target and if that doesn't happen in January fine um, the summer would be no problem for that yeah for me I, I was going through Edward, I was, I was, I was ticking the boxes. Worked with Rogers, value, age, physical presence, six foot two, goal scoring record. It just kind of ticks every box. Really, it seems like a a, a perfect kind of signing. Now, whether it works out, who knows? Um, Benkovic possibly going on loan to Derby. It just seems like a a very sensible decision if he's going to go on loan to go somewhere very local like that. But uh, uh, in the last twenty four hours or so, a lot of n- uh, news coming out of um, of the club regarding uh, Yannick Vestergaard over at Southampton, a Danish international centre half who we've known for what a year and a half at, at Southampton. Very tall, six foot six, the tallest outfield player in the Premier League. Now he's not had the greatest of seasons. If you were to type in his name, say, into social media, because it seems that an awful lot of Southampton fans uh, don't like him. It seems that highlights aren't very um, favourable when it comes to uh, Vestergaards. Now, the first thing you say is a Danish international who's played with Kasper Schmeichel an awful lot. Um, Rumour has it, because he was signed for 18 million, 16 million from Southampton, and you'd be looking roughly around the same amount of money that's been rumoured that Leicester are interested in signing for between 15 and 20 million. Um, he seems like a decent fit in terms of his size. He seems like a, a, another kind of Johnny Evans. You've got Soyuncu, who we know is all action, and Evans, who kind of sits back. And if you were to move into a back three, then that would work quite well with those two being the more kind of settled defenders and, and the one in the middle, uh, the Tiger, as uh, as Soyuncu to go for the ball, etc. It would work quite well. Now, he's been caught out on a number of occasions. Again, if you look at you know YouTube clips or, again, type his name in. But, again, you have to look at the situation in the club and how Southampton run a, a losing streak. Obviously, he was playing as well and he was um, really run riot against when we played him and won 9-0. But uh, there has to be the link with Schmeichel. There has to be something there. It's, it just seems so obvious. But I'm not saying what, what are your thoughts on him as a player and, 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 and what he's done so far at Southampton. But where do you think he would fit in? And do you think that that's the sort of player? For me, I think it seems a quite a sensible decision. You're not spending an awful lot of money. 15 to £20 million pounds at the moment is not. We spent roughly the same, if not slightly more, on, say, Dennis Pratt, who's a first-team squad player. And I'm pretty sure that Vestergaard would be that first-team squad player, the the next on the line if they're playing two. If they're going to play three, that would probably, hopefully, bring out more improvements in him or, or probably settle him down. He looked to me just a player who's in a poor side with no confidence. And he looks to be able to, to play the ball as well, not just a, a, a big, tall, lanky defender. 
But uh, it seems to me a, a sensible kind of uh, a signing, really, rather than nothing spectacular or, or a mass amount of money. Just a, a, if we could pick him up for less than £20 million, uh, probably a sensible signing. Yeah, it'd be a good addition to the squad. Um, but if we're going off the transfer policy that I just spoke about before and I said the, the only position really where, I, where we don't necessarily need slash want somebody to come straight away and be top quality was up front, then I think Vestergaard is, is perhaps a little under where we should be pitching. Now, if you want to bring him in to add a bit more to the squad depth, then fine. But And, and, and I appreciate, I do, I do agree with all of your points, but I think ambition is important to Leicester now. And you, you've got to be looking... And I was more happy to be linked with names like Regani and Demiral. I know Demiral's picked up that injury now, which means the move isn't going to happen. But, you know, somebody of a of real, real quality who would come in and you would almost say is better than Suyuncu and Johnny Evans. Because, don't get me wrong, they've been fantastic. They've been, they've been outstanding. They've been rock solid. Uh, you've always got Wes Morgan there in the background, and Benkovic looked tidy when he when he came on and and is there for depth in the squad. I think if you're gonna buy in any position other than up front now, we've got to say, look, we we are Leicester City. We have arrived in the in this top four of the Premier League, and we've got to be making a statement. Not necessarily for making a statement's sake, but we've actually got to get out and get players that are going to be able to enable us to maintain this level and take us to the next level would you would you say that Yannick Vestergaard is a Champions League defender because ultimately that's the kind of player that needs to be at Leicester City now because failing an absolute complete implosion we're going to be playing Champions League football next season so if you're looking at it in that black and white I would say no so I would say don't sign him but you know I was I would say I would say possibly really because He's 27 years old. He's a player, I would argue, actually, I'd say, because I said it, a a sensible signing for me, because we know Wes, and he came on against West Ham, and he's done really well when he has come on. But it is Wes Morgan. You can't see Wes Morgan playing Champions League football next year. You've got Benkovic, who Rodgers knows better than anyone because of his time at Celtic, who's going out on loan, and he's not really the player at the moment, who can come in and play Premier League football, Champions League football. Elsewhere, you've got Christian Fuchs, who I'm sure they would like to keep at the club, but at the moment, he's going to go out uh, of the club at the end of the season. So, if you've got a ready-made Premier League centre-half, which Yannick Vestergaard is, who could play in a back-two, back-three right now in the Premier League, understands the goalkeeper, um, I'd imagine is a decent egg as well, do you know what I mean? He's not going to be a troublemaker because of I don't think they would sign anyone. That's if you look at recent years, that's kind of the policy they've had. Um, but also, could he play Champions League football? Could any of these players play Champions League football? I'd imagine he could. He's played so many times for Denmark. A change of situation could bring out the player who Southampton spent quite a lot of money on at the time. If you go back eighteen months, two years, signing player for eighteen million pounds, centre half for Southampton, that's an awful lot of money. And um, and I would say I would say it's a position where if you do lose Soyuncu or Evans then to be playing in the top four 
Wes Morgan or to be playing Christian Fuchs, great for a game more so, but for for long term, just for the stability in the squad, to have that extra player who could be playing against lower teams in the Premier League, maybe teams with quite a lot of heights or maybe a more kind of straightforward way of playing, not saying long ball tactics, but that's roughly what I was getting to without saying long ball, a Burnley away. That would be a perfect place for him to play, for example, to be marking the likes of Wood, etc. And you never know, maybe the game against Burnley has highlighted that. Maybe all of a sudden Rogers has gone, do you know what, what we were talking about, getting another centre-half who's actually very tall, because we've not got a lot of height in the side without Ndidi, who wasn't playing. It's quite a small side. So why not go for a tall defender? Tell you what, what about Schmeichel's mate, who was talking about him and this and the other Yannick Vestergaard, it's not quite work for him at Southampton, but there's a play we can get for a reasonable amount of money, six foot six, when we go to places like Burnley, etc., uh, who are going to play with a big forward or other forwards uh, from other teams, either in cup competitions or in Europe even, then why not have that option? For, again, it, it gives you another option. A size, I think, is is really something to kind of centralise on here. I think that is is a really important factor. So yes, he's not that big kind of flashy signing, and I'm not blowing the smoke up anyone's backside here because I don't know the guy. I don't know what um, whether he'll be a success or not. But I'm just thinking, when it first appeared, I went, okay, let's find out more about this player. Oh, look at his size. Oh, look at how many times he's played with Michael. Actually, this could just be a ready-made fit who slits nicely into the squad. Maybe not straight into the first team, but would be straight away a player who's straight up to speed this season as well. And you never know, could kick on and be a very good centre-half. And again, ticking boxes as well. It just ticks a number of boxes. Would they maybe go out in the summer and buy that big name or or a very expensive centre-half or, or really kick on to another level and we all go, oh my God, look at the player we've got now. Possibly. But again, in the world of quoted £70 million Nathan Ackie, a very good player, 30 to 35 even £40 million for uh, Tarkovsky over at Burnley. I think spending 15 to £20 million on a on a tall centre-half from Southampton, it kind of makes more sense than uh, maybe looking on social media and finding out what Southampton fans think about him. I take all of your points, and I would definitely not turn my nose up at the signing of him. I wouldn't say that's a bad signing by any stretch of the imagination. And if he comes to the club, then, like you say, he offers a different dynamic. He offers greater aerial strength, which is something that we lack. Having said that, we haven't really conceded many goals from set pieces, but that, that's got to be a fluke. Um, so, yeah, if, if he comes in, great. He'll add more depth to the to the squad and, like you say, more Premier League and international experience. But he's not. he wouldn't be somebody, if you put me in charge of transfer targets, he wouldn't be somebody at the very sort of top of my list I'd, I'd have other focuses for for that but yeah if if, if it comes it's all speculation as well isn't it it's all it, like, you it, know, it, it's it just is. the latest name to be rolled out in the gossip columns i i think the defeat at burnley i think i, I you can almost see rogers turning around going right go and get him that player we're talking about get we need someone like that in the squad for next season for this season um, he can straight away, you know, knows the Premier League. It, it it seems like a very easy, easy signing. Do you know what I mean? A very, very simple, no nonsense and sensible, hopefully, signing. But we'll, we'll see what happens. It's not over the line yet. It's not by any way over the line. We'll wait and see. Anyway, now talking about games to come, 
Brentford on Saturday, Villa in the Cup on Tuesday, Chelsea after that. I presume we'll be doing a pod probably after the, the Villa game, Rob, because depending on what happens, we'll obviously need to talk about that. Um, Brentford on Saturday, for me, has got banana skin written all over it. My um, mate at work, the, 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 the head of the broadcast studio, he's a uh, season ticket holder at Brentford, I said on the previous episode, and he was talking about how, how good a side they are. When they're in good form, when they're playing well, they are probably the best side in that league. The way that they play football, the way that they move the ball forward very quickly, they've got forwards who score goals, and they could easily be a Premier League side next year in a new stadium. It could easily be. Um, but Leicester are going there, fourth round of the FA Cup. Presume it's going to be a very weakened side with the game against Villa. But also, slightly more interesting now in selection for Rodgers, because what do you do with Iniacho? Do you play him? You have to, because Vardy's not there. But then again, you look into the game against Villa, so it's not quite as easy as just throwing in Iniacho and saying he can play in 90 minutes. I'd imagine so. I can't see any reason why not. You've got to take risks. Obviously, if he gets injured, it would be a bit of a disaster. But there you go, it's football. Um, I'd imagine Chowdhury will come back into the side. Pratt wasn't in the squad against West Ham, so you'd imagine he'll be in the side. Uh, maybe a change in goal, Ward, etc. But Saturday lunchtime, BBC One, it does have banana skin written all over it. Unless Brentford make a number of changes as well because of their position in the league, because of the faltering position of West Brom and Leeds, who have basically fell off a cliff since Christmas or just before, when they were at one point 11 points clear or so, both of them in those top two positions. They've now dropped off a cliff. Fulham aren't really pulling up any sticks recently, so Brentford are looking, hang on, we've got a chance of getting up automatically here. Even, even rumours of Forrest doing that, although they collapsed yesterday, late on once again. But um, So they might change that. It's, it's, it's going to be really interesting half oh, an hour before kickoff when the team news comes through it's i say banana skin it's an easy thing to say but when you're playing against villa on tuesday the, the players i'm not saying you can kind of give them a buy on this one if they don't perform and they do get knocked out but it's just it, it's got upset written all over it it has yeah it's a terrible draw at a terrible time because you're looking at um you're looking at it obviously right directly before the second leg of a semi-final and a, and, and a chance to get to Wembley. Um, Brentford, obviously a team on the rise, doing well in the championship. Um, and Jamie Vardy being out, which means that you can't bank on who's going to start up front against Villa because you don't want to risk... Do you risk Ian Acho if he gets injured? You're in trouble. But the thing is... We have got other players that can play up front. Barnes started up front, didn't he, in a game in a cup game a couple of weeks ago? And Gray played up front a little bit under Claude Puel. Perez, you would say, is 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 somewhere between a winger and a striker, really. So we have we have got other options there, but it is it is a terrible draw, and and I don't even think you might have some more of an idea at um, an hour before kickoff when you see the team sheets about how the game's going to pan out, but. It's going to be one of them that is going to be a, a very interesting watch. And I don't think it's going to be a very nice watch at times, to be perfectly honest, because Brentford are a good footballing side. It's not like the kind of banana skin where you're playing a League One side and they're putting themselves about, they're physical and they're on a on a bobbly pitch. 
you know, Brentford are a decent football inside, so they will want to play regardless of who's on their uh, who's in their starting eleven. Uh, on telly, you know, it's it ha- yeah, it, it's just a it's a horrible horrible draw, at a not a, a far from ideal time, shall we say? But Leicester will want to keep the good feeling around the place and want, will want to make sure that this response against Burnley in terms of performance and West Ham in terms of result. The momentum from that is continued and taken into the Villa game, the Chelsea game and beyond. And then we go on to Villa on Tuesday. Villa picked up a win late on, very late on, against Nigel Pearson's Watford. And they should have their new signing actually in the side. Uh, Samata signed for quite a few million quid. They've started to get one or two decent results, Villa. They're still right down there. Was it 11 points splitting, was it 5th? to uh, 19th in the Premier League. It's absolutely ridiculous. 11 points splitting that. Unbelievable. But uh, never mind, we're way above them. 14 points clear of fifth place at the moment. But Villa in the Cup. Uh, I've got my ticket. It's got my scarf. Uh, a few people <laughs> taking the mickey on uh, on social media regarding the scarves. Well, there you go. You know, It's a free scarf. If you don't want one, don't take it. Or if you do get one and you don't want to wear it, don't wear it. You know... Build your collection up. It's uh, it's a free scarf. What are you going to do? And uh, well, it's it's the big game, isn't it, Rob? Twenty years since we've been in a cup final. Um, an, an amazing coincidence, really, against Villa in the semi final, the two legs before, with Elliot scoring the nil nil draw at Villa Park, and then Elliot scoring the winner with a header at Filbert Street. What will happen? You look back on that 4-1 performance, Iniacho playing so well, you know, it gives you confidence if he's going to be the same main centre-forward if Vardy's out. But it's a difficult game, isn't it? It's um, I was I was full of confidence after the 1-1 draw because Villa, were, I thought they were dreadful at Leicester. They defended well, but Leicester weren't very good and they got the 1-1 draw. There's no away goals. Um, I, I'm still very confident about Leicester going forward. I can still see us dominating the game. I can see Villa and the crowd especially getting quite impatient. It'll be very loud beforehand. And there'll be all sorts going on at Villa Park. And, and they'll be, hopefully at the end of the game, only talking about, oh, wasn't it very loud though? Well, yes, but you lost. Hopefully that's the way it works out. Um, Leicester need to keep the ball for the first 10 minutes or so, quiet the crowd down, and then just dominate possession. We've done that before at Villa Park. I'm confident that we can do it again. Tillemans on the ball in midfield with Ndidi. Madison keeping the ball, not doing anything stupid, not going full gung-ho because they're going to have to come at Leicester at some point. And Leicester are good enough to create chances, not at will, but without having to step forward or really go for it in a five or ten minute period. They're good enough uh, to carve open Villa on a few occasions anyway. And... I'm still going for a Leicester win. I can see us slipping up at Brentford. I really can. But against Villa, I'm confident not only for a Leicester win and to get through to Wembley, but also for it to be possibly more comfortable than maybe a lot of fans are thinking at the moment. I think I think a lot of fans will be nervous of the game because of the situation, because it's a, a second-leg semi-final game. I'm quietly confident. Uh, for all of the reasons that you've stated there, I, I think Brendan Rodgers this season has typically um, 
made sure that we're still well within the game by half time. You know, you can't sustain a high pressing game for 90 minutes. It's just physically impossible. So we've tended to be a little bit more reserved in first halves. And I think that's exactly what we need to do away at Villa. We need to make sure that nothing silly happens. We need to make sure that they have no reason whatsoever to have the crowd behind them or to believe that they can win it. Snuff everything out. Keep hold of the ball. Make them chase it without being too risky or too gung-ho because we don't need to. Because you get to half-time even at still at 1-1, you know, nil-nil in the second leg. It, it, the onus will, will be on Aston Villa to come and chase it because they're at home. The fans will be saying, go and win as this semi-final. And as long as we stay in control, that will then just open up little gaps um, it, through which we can play. You press a, you press five or ten yards higher. You move the ball just a half a second quicker in the second half. You start to turn the screw. Uh, and we've created plenty of chances against West Ham and Burnley. Uh, and you, you're going to get a good couple of clear-cut chances second half. Uh, I think that's the approach that we need to take. I, I completely agree with you. We need to keep that crowd quiet Um keep the the Aston Villa players keep away from them the belief that they could get something out of the game and for whatever reason they are down at the lower reaches of the Premier League you know sometimes it's a concentration issue sometimes it's an individual error issue and Leicester are more than well equipped enough to capitalize on little spaces that have been left by players not being switched on or an individual error and I'm not saying that's what we need to rely on but it's likely to happen against a team like Villa because that's the reason they're down in the bo- in the bottom of the Premier League so patience bide our time take control and I think we'll be absolutely fine yeah I agree yeah so for, I mean for the two games looking forward before the final two parts of the podcast we've got I'm going to go for a draw against Brentford for me a draw because uh, I think a draw would be a, a, a good result then we I know it would be an extra game in the calendar but when you're playing at home against Brentford you'll know who you're playing next round of the cup so potentially you might have a very favourable draw and you could still play a very changed lineup at home so it might not be the worst case scenario having that draw I'll, I'll go for a draw but I, again I think it's a really tricky task and I could, I could easily see a, a defeat, really. But a win against Villa. And again, I'm going to go for a fairly comfortable win as well. If you're going to ask me for scorelines, I'm probably going to say 2-all against Brentford and 2-1 against Villa. But they're one coming as they're going all out for a, some kind of goal in the 90th minute. We, we, I'd, I'd back us to get to 2-0 up. 3-1 in, in terms of aggregate and being controlled before Villa get their goal. So yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I think if we win against Brentford, great. I'd love to be proved wrong. But I think, like you say, get there, play okay, come out with a draw would be fine. And then book a place at Wembley for the League Cup final. I'm going to go for 1-1 then in the Cup and then a 2-0 win at... Uh at Villa Park and again a trip to Wembley and if we do get there touch wood it'll be fantastic we'll probably play Man City difficult game but don't matter we'll sort of out you know 
later on. That's not uh, nothing to be concerned about at all. It's all about getting through to Wembley on Tuesday. That's the big result. Would you then, I mean, I'd imagine would. Okay, I'll offer you right now. You lose to Brentford, but you win against Villa. Yeah, I'd take it. Absolutely, no, I'd take it. Yeah, I would as well, but there we go. Anyway, uh, final part of the show, it's over to, to you guys, the listeners. Uh, Three-word reviews uh, for the win against West Ham. Um, John O'Tower's back on it, fan bloody tastic. Uh, we've got Vardy's successor found as well. Lucky Bula sending that one through. Uh, Indy Foxes um, sounded rather all right. Uh, Fantastic Four by Steph. Um, we've got uh, the fight back. Uh, Richard Enriquez uh, moving the ball quicker or moving ball quicker uh, by Ollie. Uh, further down, Jim Chapman, Leicester are back. Indeed, he genetically gifted from Perco. And also there was a number of... Uh, uh, people on Facebook, that was on Twitter, on Facebook. And Didi is Superman, that's from a dad. Back on track, Ron, Ab- Ron Adams. Uh, we needed that one, Jim Chapman. And again, Perko with his Ndidi uh, post as well. So that's on Facebook, on Twitter, at FFS Pod. I put out uh, any questions, I only did that a few minutes ago. Uh, so one or two were coming through. Uh, Richard Enriquez, last night's performance would suggest uh, we are past the blip. Would it be fair to say that's... Uh, not only are the players still learning Rogers' style, but Rogers is still learning about each individual player. Uh, also, Perez actually dividing fans. I'd say Perez is dividing fans. The, the transfer fee alone, and what I mentioned earlier about him not figuring in the big games, which you can say against Liverpool, no one really did, and it was difficult to wait at Man City. But I'd like to see him be a bit more um, impactful in, in, in not. Just goal scoring, but also all areas of the game, not giving the ball away so cheaply uh, when we're playing and when we really need him at certain points. At the moment, it seems that when Leicester are playing really well, he then plays well. And when Leicester are playing well, it's maybe not because of him. He kind of follows. He he, he rides the crest of a wave, and uh, which is which is all very well and good because you need to uh, defeat teams when you're on top and playing well. But I'd like him to be a bit more influential. So I, I'd imagine he is dividing fans. And is Brendan Rodgers still learning? I'd imagine he is. And you can see that from chopping and changing formations and, and probably still transfer windows because the guy only had uh, the summer. And um, one of the big main signings was a player who was already here in Tillman. So Rogers, of course, he's still learning the players and, and learning the systems. Rob, what would you... Uh, and also, he just mentioned, as fans, isn't our job to be behind the players when they're not doing too well. Well, it is, but I'm I'm a big believer in... And, and there's an awful lot, and I'll say this, just before you come back, Rob, on uh, on the Perez part and, and Rogers. Um, and again, I look on social media a lot, and it's all nonsense anyway, but there seems to be, at the moment, a huge kind of throwback to years gone by, and I'm only talking five or six years ago, even less, looking back at away games, saying, oh, look at the crowd there, weren't they fantastic? And, and almost calling some of our away fans for possibly sitting down and a few times getting it horribly wrong um, with who they were referring to in terms of why they were sitting down and, and etc. But... I, I can't understand that. Just because a, a person goes to a football ground and sits on the front row of an away end and decides to sit down and the rest of them behind stand up, not got a problem. They're not in anyone's way doing that. Obviously, things can happen in the away end. If you've been to the away end before, you might be in a position where you don't actually want to be surrounded by a load of lads jumping up and down. You might have been going to see Leicester for 20, 30, 40 years in the away end at grounds and you naturally would like to 
you could stand up for the game, not a problem. But you're not the most loudest fan in the world. You'll cheer at certain points and that. But, you know, you could be in your 60s or 70s. And, and that's not what you want to do. Um, also, you might be a 16-year-old lad who's just started going to the football uh, on a regular basis by themselves, who have really jumped into going on away days, uh, which I did when I was that age. And it was absolutely fantastic. And of course, if everyone's not doing what you want to do, you can be you know, slightly annoyed with that. But it seems to me at the moment, there seems to be a, an, an element of supporters who um, are not uh, incredibly supportive towards other Leicester fans because they're not doing what they deem to be the right thing. We all want away fans and home fans to be very loud and supportive to the side. The question was, isn't it the fans' job to get behind the side? It is. I don't like it when it goes quiet, when the team isn't playing well. I like it when the team and the crowd start to to rise behind the team, at not just because a player's got in for a tackle and not just because there's all of a sudden been something really bad happen and, and, the, and they have to get behind them because they've just got a goal down or two goals down. It is the fans' job really as well, but also the team have got to give them something to shout about. Um, who knows what the King Power will look like in terms of standing, in terms of Union FS and where certain fans in the stadium will be in the next few years. It could all change. Who knows what the stadium will look like in the next few years. That, in all likelihood, is likely to change. But uh, at the moment, and if people are on, don't really follow social media or or don't really know what I'm roughly talking about when it comes to um, fans slightly complaining about other fans. It is happening and hopefully it's just kept to uh, a few tweets and a few Facebook posts and a few forums and it doesn't kind of spill over uh, into the stands. I don't think that will happen at all but just to let people know who maybe aren't aware it is happening and it's happening quite a lot recently and on some occasions they've really got the wrong end of the stick and uh, and uh, and there we go. There's my little rant over. I'll be I'll be brief because we're running out of time and we've gone over what we normally try and cram into just the best part of an hour. Um, on the fans' point of view, I very much believe that you support Leicester City in whichever way you you feel that you want to and whichever way you feel that you can. If you're limited by your sort of physical ability to get to games, your financial ability to get to games, whatever that's absolutely fine. If you if you support Leicester from afar, from different countries, great. If you go to every game home and away, great. Your opinions are no more or less valid than anybody else's. Um, and if you want to support Leicester City, you do that regardless of what other people think you should be doing. Me, for example, do, um, have I automatically become much less of a Leicester fan because I've only been to one game at the King Power Stadium so far this season because I've recently moved away? I would say absolutely not, but there would be sections of supporters that would probably say, yes, you are less of a fan now. I've been a fan since I can remember. Uh, I've been going to games since I can remember. Um, I, I commentate, as as Pete mentioned at the start of the show, whenever I, whenever I can and whenever I'm back. Um, and I watch as many Leicester games as I possibly can, and I'm grateful for the televised ones. And I would consider myself still a massive, as, as big a Leicester fan as I was when I had a season ticket. You know, um, and and when I was going to away games, it, it's just you support Leicester in whichever way you want to, in whichever way you can. In terms of um, 
it being the fans' job to get behind the team regardless of the situation. Yes, I agree with that to a certain point, but it's not as black and white as that. It, it, as you say, Pete, there has to be a bit of give and take. There has to be something for the fans to, to cheer in the first place. And if, if the performance looks like it's lacking energy or lacking fight, then the supporters are naturally going to be more subdued. Um, so it, it is a massive give and take relationship there as sort of highlighted by last night against West Ham because the atmosphere from what I could gather from BT Sport was, was seemed back to its best and that's because the team were back to their best and were the team back to the best because the atmosphere was back to its best? I don't know, it's a bit of both, isn't it? Uh, on the Perez situation, he is dividing opinion and it's almost game by game. You're looking for... You know, the right-back Ricardo is consistently hitting 8 or 9 out of 10 every game, I think most people would agree. Whereas Perez can vary really from anything from a, a six to an eight. So he's fluctuating between a a sort of averagey performance at six and a, and a pretty good one at eight with the occasional one when the team are playing really well, when he's finding more space and getting fed more, um, getting up towards a nine and nine-ish out of 10. Uh, and, you know, you want, you'd rather him play consistently seven every week than sort of dip below and dip above because you see a bit of promise and then it seems like it's gone. So he, di- he divides opinion with me, depending what day of the week it is with me or what game he's played in recently. So he must be dividing fans' opinions as well. And the final point from, from Richard, thank you for filling us with lots of questions today. We appreciate it. Uh, Brendan Rodgers, of course, is still getting to know his team. He's still not been in charge a year yet. He's getting to know these players who are themselves... Um, essentially getting to know themselves still. There's a lot of young players at this football club that are still finding the best way for them to be effective in games, um, still learning elements of professionalism. We haven't really touched upon it because there's not an awful lot left to say on the Chilwell and Chowdhury uh, situation, but by all accounts, Brendan Rodgers has said that they, he expects a higher level of professionalism from them, and, and that's something that they're still learning. So if they're still learning their trade themselves... Rodgers is still learning things about them uh, as individuals, as members of a team um, and as football players. So it's definitely a work in progress, which is why we said at the start of the season, knocking on the door of the top six would be great. The, the progress is, has been um, quicker than we anticipated and we are absolutely rolling with it to be third in the Premier League when it looks like there's still a lot of work that can and will be done is a real positive. And Brendan Rodgers is a very clever manager, very clever coach. So he will relish learning more about his players and his team in order to get the best out of them. Now we're in the middle of a game week in terms of the fancy football league. Um, so we don't do the full uh, rundown because there's there's games literally happening as we're talking right now. Uh, but you've moved up actually quite a few points. But I've played my triple captain. I've pressed that button. Um, so hopefully uh, Mo Salah in a uh, in a Liverpool defeat scores three goals. Um, and then he's got the second game. And again, hopefully in a Liverpool defeat, he scores three goals as well. But anyway, so... Let us off for the uh, fancy football this week because, again, it's in the moment of uh, currently playing and it's not quite updated as yet, as I'm looking right now. So there we go. So fancy football next week. Anyway, if you want to get in contact with the podcast, at FFSPod for Fox 8 Podcast on Twitter. Uh, on Facebook, nice and easy. Type in for Fox 8 Podcast 
And also, if you want to email us for Fox 8 Podcast at gmail.com. You can listen to the podcast on many ways. <coughs> I nearly held up. I nearly held up until the end of the uh, show. Never mind. If you want to listen to the podcast, you can do it in many ways. However, you listen to it now. Uh, well done. But if you want to, you can listen to it on Apple Podcasts. Uh, you can listen to it on Spotify. You can listen to it on SoundCloud. Uh, just click subscribe on all of those, and it means that you will get the show when it drops. Now, fingers crossed that next time we're with you, Leicester have beaten Brentford. We're in the fourth round of the FA Cup. We have progressed to Wembley, and we're all dreaming about getting tickets and going down to Wembley against whoever in the first cup final for 20 years. That's the big thing, and that we're still 14 points clear inside the Champions League position. So, fingers crossed. That's the case when we're next with you. 